The following message by Pastor Spencer is brought to you by Together in Christ. Thank you very much. You can be seated. It's good to be with you. Good morning. Um, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at a grand total of one verse this morning. But what a verse it is. It's good to be with you. Um, we can't pray too much, so if you don't mind, can we pray real quick before we go into this? And let's ask God to bless his word to our hearts and our minds today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please speak to us through your son. Show us the truth found in your word. And we pray that you would take the written word and reveal to us your son and put it on our hearts and stamp it on our minds that we would trust in you and live lives worthy of the gospel. For Christ's sake, amen. The Advent series this year, as usual, we, we focus on four main words, peace, hope, love, and joy. Peace is something we associate with Christmas, right? We think of the phrase, peace on earth. Much of our, many of our songs talk about peace, and it's something that we all want. But I think if we're all honest, and we all know this, 2020 has not been a year of peace, has it? It's been a year of conflict, friction, uh, disturbance, anger, disharmony, disunity. Families are in conflict. We have a culture war going on. We have political wars going on. We always have international conflict going on, and the world can feel crazy and chaotic. And if we're honest, on t that's just what's out in the world, and that's not simply what's in our hearts. Sometimes we, and I think all of us, are looking for inner peace, tranquility. We want to be happy. We want to be content. We want to be content with our job. We want to be happy with our family. We want to be happy in our marriage. We want to enjoy our life. We want the world to be the way that we think it ought to be. We're longing for that. We're longing for peace, where the world is put back together the way that it should be. And yet we don't see the world that way, do we? As we look around in the conflicts of our world and we think about the Christmas message of peace, it can sound quite shallow and you think, here we go again and here's another empty little maxim of Christianity that we should all be peace-loving and Jesus came to be, bring peace and yada, 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 and that means nothing to us. And yet we, we see this conflict in the world and we wonder, why is this? Why is the world so angry? Why, whenever I flip on the news, do I just get mad? Why does my temperature rise? Why am I so dissatisfied in this life? Why can't we get along together, and why can't there be harmony? Well, the Scriptures tell us that perhaps, and this is what the truth of the Scripture says, the Scriptures say we're at war with each other because we're actually at war with somebody else on a much deeper level. We're, we're at war with each other because actually we're at war with God. You see, all of this conflict, all of these fights and all of their various ways and all their various spheres are simply symptoms of a much greater conflict that has been going on for thousands of years. 
And little did you know it, but you have been engaged in it since you were born. And if you're not a Christian, you're still engaged in it. Paul opens up his letter to the Romans, as we're going to look at today in Romans 5.1. And he opens up in verse 18 and says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God's wrath is his opposition. You see, God is anti-sin. And that's not good news for us because we're sinners. Because God is anti-sin, that means he's anti-us. His wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, this earthly conflict is simply a symptom of a trans-world conflict. You may have heard about the book, The War of the Worlds, where there's a war of the worlds going on. It's the world of heaven versus the world of earth. This war began thousands of years ago, and God has done no wrong to us. He's treated us rightly, but this war has its origins and its causes thousands of years ago in a garden. You remember the story, you've heard it many times, I'm sure, that God offered to bless us if we listened to him. He made us in his image. He treated us in love and in kindness and in justice. But we decided we didn't want to be ruled by God. So we fired the first shot. We assaulted him, and we thought we could take his crown off of his head, and we could rule our own lives, and God would have no right to rule over us. And so because of that, we call that the fall of mankind. We all fell when Adam did. When Adam fell, we fell into a situation of sin and misery, and this we find ourselves in 2020. We find ourselves in a world of hatred, envy, and strife. We live in a dangerous world full of tragedies where no matter how hard we try, we cannot escape death. And each of us, the scriptures say, are born hostile to God. Did you know that? The Bible says in in one of Paul's epistles that we are born hostile to God. Our minds are alienated from him. In Romans chapter one at the tail end, when he describes you and me in our hearts, he says that we are God haters. So you see, we oppose God and God opposes us. Only the difference is, is he's right and we're wrong. He's good, and we are not, and that's the problem. Well, Paul tells us that this war is going on right now, and so we wonder, can we find peace? Where is peace in a world at war with itself, ultimately, because it's at war with its creator and its maker? Will we ever get to that place where everything is the way it should be? No more hostility, no more friction, We're tired of it. And yet Christmas opens up and Paul opens up in verse one of chapter five and says, therefore, since we have been justified with by faith, we have peace. We presently at this time experience and enjoy peace with God. First point, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Paul, right away, chapter five, verse one says, the war is over. 
The long conflict is finished. Peace has been declared. You've seen pictures, I'm sure, if you, uh, you look in your history books, you know the pictures of uh, like, you know, the sailor or the guy kissing the girl after World War II has just been announced. We've, we've defeated Japan. We've defeated Germany. Victory, there's peace. The war's over. And the celebrations that go on all around the country, there's peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, the angel said. Now, notice what this text here says that Paul says here in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, we, Paul saying me, my associates, you who are reading this text, and by implication, all of us who believe the same message they did, we presently enjoy peace with God. Notice the, the text does not say we enjoy peace from God or the peace of God. So he's not talking about some inner tranquility. Paul is not describing a state of mind. And I think sometimes when we think about peace, we're often talking about, I want my, I want my conscience and my heart and my mind to be at peace. I want inner tranquility. I want everything to be at ease and the way it should be inside me. But that's not what Paul is saying right here. Although there's implications for that from, this, from what Paul is saying here, he's not saying that in this text. He's saying we have peace with God. The peace that Paul is writing about here is not a state of mind, but a state of relationship with God. You see, the biggest thing you need is not a different state of mind. You need a different relationship with God. That's your biggest problem and my biggest problem. We need to be made right, reconciled with God. This is objective peace, peace for all time. You might remember, again, I, um, the famous, uh, there's a famous photo. If you're, if you're a history nut, you'll like this. If not, uh, trust me and just go along with it. But before World War II, you remember Adolf Hitler, right, the bad guy in Germany? Well, the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain went over to go visit him. And whenever he went over and visited him, he was going to try to broker some kind of peace deal so they could avoid war because they all knew this was coming. The conflict's coming. And Neville Chamberlain went over there, the British prime minister, and he went over and got a document signed. And eventually he gets off the plane after he's come back from Germany, meeting with the dictator, and he holds up a piece of paper and says, here we have peace for our time. Now you and I know that piece of paper because within a year they were at war and the whole world was eventually going to be engulfed in it. That was not peace in their time. They thought it was. And they were trying to say, we've, we've established a place where we can have peace amongst each other. We're not going to be at war with each other. We're not going to fight any, each other anymore. Our differences have been settled. And yet, peace for our time was only peace for about a year. But Paul writes about a peace for all time. A peace that will never end. A war that is over forever. A sure and lasting peace. Because that which separated us from God, namely our sins and our guilt, has been dealt with. We have peace with God. God is not fighting you anymore if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. There's some of you that are always looking over your shoulder and you're a believer and you're wondering, is God angry with me right now? 
I sinned a little bit. I sinned today and I did something I know I shouldn't have done and I've done it 15 times earlier this week already. Does God love me anymore? Well, Paul says we have peace with God. God has signed, sealed, and delivered a peace treaty to you and me and to the world that everyone who believes in Christ has peace with God. That should bring wonderful peace into your heart then. You see, it brings a wonderful state of mind of tranquility, knowing that everything is right between me and the Lord. No longer is his wrath revealed from heaven against me if I'm a believer. I have peace with God. So no matter what happens in this life, even if it's uh, stuff that's very hard to deal with, it's not God's anger anymore because we know now that for those who are called, all things work together for good. We have peace with God, Paul says, first of all, and that's the message of Christmas. Not primarily, first and foremost, that Jesus comes to give you an inner tranquility. Now, he does do that eventually, but the primary thing he came to do was to reconcile us with God. There's peace The war is over. The hostility is ended. But how can we know that this peace is a lasting peace? Because whenever we sign peace treaties in this world, they're so often not lasting, right? Even whenever we have marital conflicts sometimes, right? Couples may be separated, but then they get back together. And sometimes we wonder, how long is that going to last? Is this going to be a lasting relationship? Are they really reconciled? Or is there just going to be something next that's going to happen that's going to tear them apart again? How do we know that the war just won't start up again? Well, we've got to see if all of the causes that started the war have been taken care of. And this is what Paul says in verse one of chapter five. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Notice what Paul says. First of all, he says, therefore. Now, many of you know this, uh, but for all of us, it's important to remind ourselves that the word therefore is so important. It's a conjunction, and what that means is it's saying, read what Paul just said previously, because what he said previously is connected and related to what he's saying right now. Therefore, in light of what I've just said, Paul is saying, in light of everything I've written in chapters one through four, which we don't have time to read, uh, don't worry, we won't read all of those, but he's saying, in light of everything that I've said, this is true, we have peace with God. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we could translate that because We have been justified by faith. Because we have been made right with God, we now have peace with God. And of course, this draws us up into the previous verses. What is Paul's context? What does it mean to be justified by faith? Well, we're not going to read everything in chapter 4, but I want to begin reading in verse 23 of chapter 4, just three verses ahead. But the words it was counted to him, talking about to Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, 
Since, because we have already been justified by faith, we presently now enjoy peace with God. First of all, note this. Peace is grounded upon justification. That's what Paul is saying. Because we've been justified, therefore we have peace. So everything that happened in justification determines what happens in the peace, right? So because we've been justified, we have peace. As far as the justification is certain, the peace is certain. But if the justification is not really certain, then the peace is going to be really shaky, Paul is saying that our justification is what determines whether or not we have peace with God. So what in the world is justification? Now, it's a Bible word, and it's a church word, and it's a word that we should all become acquainted with because Paul uses it a lot in his, in his letters. Justification simply is this. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a legal certification. It's a declaration that you are right with the law. So one example, without getting too political, but we're right now counting votes, right? So we had an election, right? And there's preliminary results, correct? We've got the preliminary results, but then those results have to be certified by the appropriate people. They have to analyze all the election stuff and say, yeah, 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 and then they certify the result. Well, that's what justification is in a sense. It's the certification that you have done or are right with the law. It's the certification, God saying, yes, as the judge, that you are right with him and you've done everything that the law demands. The Bible teaches that there are only two ways to be justified, two ways. The first way is what Paul describes as justification by works, justified by works, Romans 4, 2. And what this means is this. You go out, you go read your Bible right now, you read every single thing that God tells you to do in the Bible, you read every command, every direction, every single instruction, and then on top of that, not simply should you know what you ought to do, but then you go out and do it perfectly for the rest of your life. You go out and you do it all. Paul says of these people who wish to be justified by works, it is not the hearers of the law, not simply those who know what to do, who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So go out and try your hardest and see how good you can do. And then you go out and you do everything perfectly to a T. But if you fail one time, any lack of compliance with the law, if you don't do everything perfectly, you will be condemned. It's an all or nothing. There's no, gr- there's no curve here. It's either zero or a hundred, no in between. And then if you have failed any lack of compliance, you will be condemned by the judge at the last day. And Paul has already said in Romans 2, 8 through 9, that there will be wrath and fury, tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. So that's, if you want to go for it, go for it. But Paul says already this to you and me, that the whole human race can't do this. None of us can. We're swamped in sin overcome by it. In fact, Paul will say we're under it. It rules over us. 
its power and its guilt. And so Paul says that no human being is gonna get certified at the last day. God's gonna look at you and examine you, and if you go based upon what you do, you're not getting certified. You will be condemned. You will not be justified on the basis of your works, on the basis of what you do and who you are. The whole human race stands condemned, and therefore, because we haven't dealt with that issue, we're still at war with God. We're not reconciled to him. There is no peace for the wicked. But there is a second way to be justified, to be certified by God. There's a second way. Paul describes it in Romans as being justified by God's grace as a gift or being justified by faith or being justified by the blood of Christ or being justified by God the Father on account of Christ. He uses all those kinds of terminology to describe what he's getting at here. And he says, here, we're not certified by anything that we do. You see, there's another way to be made right with the law. You do it yourself or you can have somebody else do it for you, but they better do it perfectly and pay all your debt and do everything for you in your place as your substitute. In this way, we are certified because of what someone else does for us. Someone else meets the demands of God's law for us. Someone else comes in our place to be our substitute. And this substitute has to obey every single one of God's commands perfectly. And this substitute also has to fulfill every detail of God's law and also take the punishment that we've already deserved because of our sin. He must be punished in our place. He must die for us. He must be treated as if he was really God's enemy, even though he's God's friend. And our substitute has to be able to die for us and to endure all of this and yet conquer the grave for us. And this way of justification, of certification, places all of the demands on the substitute and none on the person who's the sinner. It places it all upon the one who comes in the place of others where the other one is justified despite who he is. The substitute must give all of his blood, all his sweat, all of his tears for us. And Paul says that this has been done. In Jesus Christ, the substitute has come. That's what Christmas is about. The child in the manger is the substitute. He's the lamb. He's the little one who even as an infant is already doing for you what you should have done. You should have been born pure and spotless, but you weren't. He was. He does everything for us. He obeyed God's law in every detail, and then at the right time, he died for the ungodly, for the wicked, for those who have never done what the law requires. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul says at the tail end of chapter four that Jesus Christ was certified justified, and God the Father said, everybody who looks to him is certified too. You get justified too because he was justified. You're justified despite who you are. He was justified because of everything that he did and bled and laid down his life for us. 
And God gives us all of this. We receive him by faith. Paul just says we've been justified by faith. Now, I think some people do have a misunderstanding of what faith is because they think, well, we're not justified by works, but faith is the one work that we've got to do now. Faith is not a work. Faith is not the one work that we must do. Faith is the confidence that all the work has been done. Faith is not belief in ourselves. Faith is being convinced that God has done it all for us. Faith is not the one condition that I must now perform to be justified. Faith is the conviction that all the conditions have been met for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And because Jesus has been certified legally, every single person who receives him is legally certified forever. Forever. So we go through all of that to say that's a pretty strong foundation for being justified, for being certified. And that's not going anywhere. Because last I checked, Paul says we have been justified in the past. It's finished, it's done because Jesus can't die anymore. Jesus can't do anything anymore. He's earned it all, it is finished. Therefore, justification is complete. Therefore, we have perfect peace because justification is complete. You see, if you're not confident that Jesus Christ took away your guilt, then you won't be confident that you have peace with God and you're always gonna be living your life in terror of God. It's easy for us to live our lives wondering, is God satisfied with me? Have I met all of the demands? And you haven't, but Christ did for us. It's a crazy thing, the Christian faith, because it calls us to trust in a life I did not live and in a death I did not die, and yet I'm gonna put all the chips on Jesus and count that I'm right with God and that I do have lasting peace. So this peace is sure, steadfast, firm, and without ending. Of his kingdom and of, his, and of peace, there will be no end because he's dealt with the issue completely. So if the cause of the war is taken away, then the peace is forever. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to establish peace. And remember what the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we have peace with God. I don't have to be afraid of God anymore. He's my father. We have a sure and a lasting peace because our peace is founded upon a finished work. You're not in the process of being justified or certified more. It's done. And therefore, the peace is complete. So where can I find this peace? Who brings this peace to me? Well, Paul says this in verse one. Therefore, since because we have already been justified by faith, we presently enjoy, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's kind of interesting because we're wondering, Paul, uh, you've already talked about Jesus in relation to peace. Why are you bringing this up again? It sounds a little bit like uh, Paul just doesn't have anything else to say. So remember, it's kind of like the, child, the, the Sunday school answer for the kids, right? That every single answer is Jesus Christ. 
uh, to every single question. It's all, well, it's Jesus. Well, it's Jesus. And sometimes we think, well, Paul's kind of like that because not only is he saying, he's already said Jesus is the reason that we can have peace, but he now says we enjoy this peace right now through Jesus Christ. And so we're wondering, Paul, you know, maybe you're kind of just, you don't have any other words you can use. Is Paul just throwing words around? But Paul seems to be saying this, that we have a firm and lasting peace with God because of what Christ did for us in the past. And right now we enjoy that peace that he bought for us in the past through him as well right now in the present. We receive peace because of Jesus and through Jesus. Christ is both the foundation and the means through which we enjoy this peace right now. We enjoy this peace through Jesus Christ, and and that's really comforting because even as believers, God is daunting. And right now, if you were to go into heaven as you are right now, you couldn't take the glory. That's why you've got to go through the resurrection to get a different body, to be transformed so that you can be fitted and so that you can stand in the presence of God because right now, you couldn't take it. And so it's a wonderful thing that God brings this peace, not simply as he's God, but he brings this peace that Christ earned, but he brings it as well through the lowly Jesus Christ, our brother, the one who has our flesh and our blood. We enjoy this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are frail Beings, And yet God comes down to us in the humble Jesus Christ who proclaims to us peace and he comes to us and says, I have done everything to make you right with God. Trust in me. Remember what he said, I am meek and lowly and you will find rest for your souls in me. And when we would wonder, does he love me or is the war over? This child now groaned, shows us his hands and his side, and he says, by my wounds, you have been healed. We have peace through Jesus Christ, and this offer of peace is extended to every single one of you. Uh, Today, as we hold our Bibles, you know, remember I told you about Neville Chamberlain, that guy that went over to Germany and tried to get Hitler to sign a peace treaty, and he did, but it wasn't worth anything. He said, this is peace for our time. But every time you open the book, you're reading the treaty. Here's the treaty. And here's peace for all time. And it's sealed with his own blood, the blood of his son. And he says, you can have peace with me through my son. He says to every single one of you, and some of you are here, and you're not at peace with God. You're still at war with God. You're still fighting him tooth and nail, or maybe you don't want anything to do with him and you think, I'm really not fighting him, but the Bible says there's only two ways. You're either at war with God or you're at peace with God. And some of you here today may not be at peace with him, but I want to tell you today, God offers you the treaty in his son, Jesus Christ, and says, you can have peace if you want it. If you will but look to my son, Jesus Christ, 
If you will come to him and leave your sins, lay your weapons down, you will find peace. And that will bring satisfaction and joy and contentment to your soul. But know this, that if you do not choose peace through Christ, who's giving it all to you right now, you're not going to get any better terms for peace. And if you go to the judgment seat and think that you've been a good boy or a good girl, God says you're not a good boy or a good girl. You're actually a child of wrath. You're not going to get any better terms of peace today. Jesus grieved over the people at Jerusalem because what did he say? If only you knew today the things that make for peace. If you only knew what I'm coming to offer you. And they're good terms. He was prophesied as the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, we're told there would be no end. At his birth, the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. He was born to deal with our sin, what separated us from God, and this child grew into a man. And when he rode into Jerusalem, they proclaimed, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He came to make peace, and this child would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. At Christmas time, we're reminded that our, our pastor has already told us that peace is not found in this world. Peace is not found in my heart. Peace is not found by me disciplining myself and forcing myself to be content with my circumstances. Peace is found with God through Christ our Lord. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. He is our peace. We have peace. So you can go home today and know the war's done. God's not mad at you if you're a believer. He offers you everything and asks only for your gratitude and your trust. And perhaps also as we close today, we think about why did Paul open up every single stinking letter the same way? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just some kind of little ooey-gooey feel. Paul is amazed that we who are sinners are accepted by God and we have peace with him. That's what Christmas is about we have been reconciled to God through the child born in the manger. Amen. Thank you for your attentiveness. Let's uh, pray together and ask that God would seal this word to our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the peace that you give to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. He's dealt with all the issues, all the causes that started the war, and he brings us all the blessings that come because of his sacrifice. I pray that you would take these words and write them on our minds and on our consciences. I pray if there's someone here today who is at war with you and they don't know it, or maybe they do, I pray that you would help them, that their hearts would melt when they see the peace offered today 
in the person of Jesus Christ. We bless you and we thank you for being our God and for taking us to be your people. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Spencer from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.